Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we went back-to-back, two dominating performances in a row. Why don't you give us a cheers to start this podcast off right? I'm going to do a cheers to Virginia Tech having an offense. It might be too early in the season to go out on a limb, and we'll fall on our face in one of these games coming up. But I am so excited to have an offense in Blacksburg. How good does Bud Foster have to feel right now? I can't even imagine knowing that he's got this offense behind him. So cheers to Justin Fuente and what he's done in Blacksburg with the O. Absolutely, man. Cheers to that. And this was the dream, right? Having... Bud Foster's defense link up with a potent offense. This is something that we knew if we could ever get it at any point, it could be very, very special in Blacksburg. And Fuente's ability and off also offensive coordinator Cornelson's ability to adjust within the game and just be so impressive, put throw up points like we haven't seen in years and years. It's awesome. This was what everything we thought it could be and even more and it's happening faster than I thought it would happen as well I know that's incredible I'm I'm really really excited all right so we're a little bit later in the show we're gonna have a guest come on which should be pretty cool and go over some of the betting lines this week with us since it's a bye week uh we thought it would be fun to go a little bit more in depth with the picks so we're gonna do that a little bit later right now I'm gonna run through the game and then we'll give our observations and that first quarter a little bit of a slow start in the beginning. Took a while to get us a first down, but Stroman really kicked it off nice with that 87-yard TD punt return, wearing the number 25. That was so cool. And then a little while later in the quarter, we got a 39-yard pass to Ford, and then Marshawn came in and had a tough run to the end zone to put us up 14-0. In the second quarter, we kind of had a, a waterfall of points, and that's kind of what happened in the last game as well. All of a sudden, we got out to a huge lead, had the block field goal by Settle. That led to a touchdown to Ford, had a blocked punt by Cam. Three plays later, we scored another TD to Trayvon. We went up 28 nothing. had a field goal, and then one more touchdown pass to close out the half. That was the 55-yarder to Cam Phillips on kind of a busted coverage, and it was 38-zip at the half. The second half, ECU came out and scored real quick, put up seven points and a long pass to Jimmy Williams. Drives by each team, stalled inside the 10. And after we stopped them on, or, or they stopped us close to the goal line, a couple plays after that, we got a safety on a nasty hit by a cannon, and we were up 40 to nothing. And then with 444 left in the third quarter, we had what I would call the run by Gerard Evans, that 55 yard cutting across the field run that it seemed like every ECU player had a shot at him and he still got in the end zone. It was one of the coolest plays in Virginia tech history and probably one of the coolest plays of the college football season so far. And we were up 47 to seven at that point. And it was pretty much over. If, if it wasn't over before that, it was definitely over. Then ECU got another long touchdown again to Jimmy Williams. We squashed a fake punt a little while later. Motley came in on mop up duty. We scored one more touchdown they got a field goal. Ended 54-17 to 17 was the final score. Tech was victorious. Another dominating win. And, Robbie, I want to go to you first. Let's, let's start with the overall positive. I mean, to me, I said it right off the top. I can't remember when we've had two. I was so impressed with this against BC. To, to do it again the very next week was amazing. Yeah, I'll start at a high level and we'll we'll get down into the weeds from there. There's a lot of positive to take out of this game. I think um, the first, which was a shout out from David Hale, and I want to make sure I have this right. So if you saw the tweet, let me know. Gerard Evans, I think it was in the last decade is the only quarterback. Um, you know, there was only been 12 other quarterbacks uh, besides him in the country that had, you know, 13 plus touchdowns and no more than one interception of those 12. Uh, in the first four games of the season, that list includes two Heisman winners, three first-round draft picks, seven QBs in the N- that have started in the NFL, nine who, and of those have played in the NFL. And then there's Kenny Hill, who we all know about Kenny Hill and what happened there. So, and what's still happening there? But that was really cool. I thought the offensive play was outstanding. 
uh, uh, throughout the first and the second half. High-powered, still showing more each and every week. Um, you know, in, in different setups, there, you know, we're showing... I think on one play we were showing the speed option and then we threw a pass back into the flat, which was really um, dynamic. We're keeping defenses on their toes. So I thought the offense played really well. The defense was fantastic in the first half. And then we, the second half things opened up a little bit. There were some deep balls that I think that we probably could have had some coverage on. It, it opened up a little bit more, and I got a, a little bit worried, and that's really where ECU put up a lot of their yards in the second half and started to kind of, if you look at the stat line, started to make things look a little bit more competitive than maybe they were. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest stories of this game was the special teams. And I went through the things in the recap, but that was the spark in this game. It took us 12 minutes to get a first down on offense in this game, and without that run back by Stroman, I'm not sure – it, it might have even taken us longer to get going. And then the blocked punts, both of the blocked kicks, I should say, uh, the field goal, which Tim Settle blocked and was just, just threw a guy down and then blocked the field goal. That was just amazing. And the punt that Cam blocked, Cam Phillips, it might have been blocked by Bucky if Cam didn't get it because we had so much penetration. If you looked at the picture, I think Key Play posted it. It looked like one if he didn't get it, the next guy was going to get it. So... It was the story all day long, and then they tried to do a fake pun and whatever. But the Beamer ball influence is, is still there. And I uh, shout out to Coach Shabest, who is keeping that tradition alive. And Fuente has had good special teams play, and Shabest has a track record of having this at previous stops in his career. And it's great. And the fact that, like I said, the fact that he, Stroman was wearing the 25 and was pointing to the number after he scored the touchdown, it was really cool. Yeah, that. I thought that was interesting when we sniffed out the uh, fake punt later on uh, and it was Cam Phillips again. I thought that was a really heads up play when they were trying to get a little bit of trickery in the game to try and make it competitive. And Greg Sturman's punt return, I watched it probably four or five times and I caught this right. I was sitting next to French actually at the bar watching watching the game here and I said right away, the way Strowman, because they outkicked the coverage, was so kind of slow and methodical on that right at the beginning. He kind of moved a little bit left, moved a little bit right. It was really slow. And I remember thinking to myself, what what the hell is he doing? And afterwards, I realized he, he was just was looking at the entire field. He saw his lane, and, and he took it. It was a really, really nice run I don't back. think he was touched on that either. No, we didn't. There was nobody that touched him. He was, it was almost like he, he was scouting the entire, yeah. the entire field, and then he just took off. It was, it was really, really quite incredible. Gerard Evans, the long TD run, got all of the, all of the recognition on SportsCenter, top plays. He was just a beast. And the most exciting part of that, I think, is where he dragged the nose tackle an additional five yards right at the end zone. There was a lot of impressive stuff. I think that just showed his raw power because that guy must have been 300, 330 pounds, and he pulled him into the end zone. And then rolled over on him quite nicely to, to make sure none of none of his body parts were down. It was it was nicely done, and you you were never knowing when he was going to cut back one more time because it just seemed like he went from one side of the field to the other, and it was it was great. Uh, he was amazing all day, like you had referenced. 13 of 20, three touchdowns passing, 97 yards rushing, and another touchdown, so four total TDs. I want to mention Isaiah Ford. He needs doesn't need to be mentioned, but he should be. Four catches, 117 yards, ho-hum, another touchdown. Now he's got 376 yards on the season, four touchdowns in four games. And went up for some sweet passes in this game, making nice catches. He could have had maybe even a bigger day too. It always seems like that. Like he's always involved in so many plays, and he had that pass that Chris Cunningham was wide open. Now he got a touchdown on the very next play, but he almost passed for a touchdown on that play. I thought he. I I was banging the table. I was. I really thought he had that one. And some of his commentary in the press conference, at, you know, this week has been hilarious about that and getting another shot at it. And then they're talking about how much uh, Brad Cornelison was talking about how much time he'd spent scheming that and, you know, really ribbing him on it. Marshawn Williams getting his first TD since 2014. 
he looks really, really nice. That run on his touchdown, I know he got a lot of push from his offensive linemen. Got a little linemen. hug from Yosh Nijman. <laughs> exactly. There was, there was a bit of a push there. But before the offensive linemen start shoving, he showed a lot of power, like we said, during last week against BC. I thought that was really exciting. And... Cam Phillips, uh, he he had an excellent day. There's you continue to use Rodgers in a much better way than we did during the first couple games. I think he's really hitting on those screens, swing passes. I think that's where he should live and breathe, and it that's working out really well for the team. The the you know the only pause I have about uh, Gerard Evans overall as I kind of wrap up the offense is, and maybe it's just in my head, and would love to get your thoughts on this. I was asking French about it, but it seems as though Gerard is more comfortable on the deep ball down the left side of the field or even down the center. But on the right, that's where he seems to overthrow people. He's overthrown, I think, four twice or three times down the right side uh, and maybe another player at least one other time. And I never know. I, I should pay more attention to whether they're, you know, on field side or, or or not. But that's that's one area that I think he can continue to improve. And granted, if he does improve, he's going to be even more fantastic than he already is. Yeah, I noticed in this game he was going a little bit more down the field, and he he missed a couple, but he had some really nice gains. I mean, his average per completion in this game was like 21 yards so anytime he completed the pass it was it was it was going at least 21 yards down the field on average uh and but i i hear you on that um that side of the field thing i think there could be something to that we'll see how that is going forward but i he's definitely improving every week in my opinion as well and this game he had his higher highest passing rating of any game in terms of just passer rating and that's that's awesome to see and so defensively, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. Other than those two breakdowns, they had a very good day. ECU was only 3 of 14 on third down and 0 of 3 on fourth down. So we were getting off the field when we had to, something that plagued us in our other two matchups against ECU. It uh, seemed like Bud was using uh, some more zone coverages and... French did a nice article about how Chicago was used kind of in, as a bandit linebacker, and they were kind of using a dime formation with more athletes to stop the run on long third downs, and it seemed to prove very effective. Uh, we had 16 tackles for loss in the game, two each by Tremaine, Kenna Canham, uh, Trevon Hill, and Ricky Walker, who had two and a half. And then we had six sacks of those 16 tackles for loss, and a Canham He's just taken his play to a whole new level. That hit on James Summers couldn't have pleased me more. Now, I don't want to see you guys get hurt, but, man, he walloped him good. And after what he did to us last year, I can't say I was sad about it. They demolished him. Uh, four four sacks in the game. I That was – Kenny Kenham is just looking – you said he's up to, what, six sacks? Um, we had I six sacks in the game. I think he had four sacks oh, on the season. Sorry, sorry. I, I'm reversing stuff now. And he is just causing so much – just so much you know, pressure on the quarterback that they're having to scheme around him. And even even more exciting than what he's been doing is how good the defensive tackles have looked that – if a quarterback once 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 our secondary is doing their job and our linebackers are doing their job and they shut down and there's nobody open, the the quarterback has nowhere to go up the middle and they are having to scramble to the outside. Period. And it's happening all the time because our defensive line is doing such a good job of contain. Which Bud Foster came into this year and he's showing a heavier look on the line than he has probably in the last three to four years, and it's really bottling up the inside on the run and on the quarterback when there, there isn't an option downfield. I also think the athleticism we have is allowing him to show some unique looks that we haven't seen in a couple years. He's got guys who hold their assignments better than our guys have held in a while. Yep. And Moto is, he, we praised him during the BC game. He's really starting to, to turn it on now. I I feel like we came into this season and everybody was worried about him being a liability and I would put him on an asset corner right now. Like he is, he is a net benefit to this scheme and 
That is far more than people expected coming into the season. And he's also helping out Edmonds when there are times that Edmonds is, is, is acting young, right? He's, he's making decisions that aren't the best. He's not reading it right. And there are times in the game that Moto's picking up for him or he's pulling him aside afterwards and kind of helping him out. So on top of that, he's being a leader for the team. So props to him. He's, he's had a great season thus far. Absolutely. Tremaine Edmonds, I, you know, he, I said he had those two tackles for loss. Well, one and a half of them were sacks. So he's definitely starting to get the hang of things. And you can see how much he impacts the game. And I have to mention Chuck Clark because he had 11 tackles in this game. He's just a stalwart. He's always in on the plays, it seems like. And he just he doesn't get enough credit from us because he's just always doing his job right, I guess. So we just don't mention him that much. But Chuck Clark deserves to be mentioned. He had a good game. Do you want to jump into negatives or do you have any more things you want to, to harp on real quick? No, I can I can jump into some negatives. Uh, I don't I don't have uh, too many. I'll start with the defense since we just wrapped that up. Sure. They the secondary on the long stuff is still concerning to me, but we're not going to be perfect. It, it, it's just going to happen. There's going to be deep balls that people get their hands on. Brandon Faison, he's losing his bearings on the deep ball, and I don't know if you have seen this, but he's he's he does, he's not the fastest guy in the entire world and he's going up against every you know wide receiver one is is facing every single week and he's up against speedy guys and on the deep ball he's having trouble locating it he's having trouble kind of getting his body in the right position and a lot of those are falling on his shoulders granted he's going up against the best wide receiver against every team i think he needs to shore that up a little bit in fact I, I, again, to reference it, I was talking to French, and he was more worried about Jimmy Williams than he was about Zay Jones in this game. And he said that right before it started. And Jimmy Williams had 179 yards. Zay Jones, <laughs> who we talked about, had 115. And he had so, t- and he had the 10 catches that I said he would get. <laughs> exactly. But I hear exactly. I hear French on the on the bigger play stuff. Yeah. So. And we gave up some meaningful stuff on slant plays. I think we need to protect the center of the field a little bit better. I think that's both on the linebackers and the secondary and probably some scheme at times. And I think, you know, there was more missed passes with ECU. We're going to hit a team here and we're about to play UNC that isn't going to make the same mistakes. Some of these passes that were missed in the BC game, that were missed in the ECU game, uh, there was the fourth down play in the red zone where they overthrew the wide receiver that was wide open. That was really dangerous and would have been a touchdown. Yep. We're getting the benefit of offensive mistakes. And as teams get through more reps in the season and as we play better teams, those can come back to bite us. And that can switch the score of a game pretty quickly on us. So we got to be mindful. That's my primary concern on the defense. Anything that you, you saw? Yeah, I mean, the big play breakdowns on D are definitely a negative, and I, I expected some. I didn't expect them to be as long as they were, and it's it's really hard to say how it would have gone down if uh, if the game had been closer because, I, you know, you don't know how the guys are going to react. You, you know, you see we're up 38 nothing. in this score touchdown. It's like, yeah, maybe they got a little overconfident, and it's just not the same as if the game's a three-point game. So it's kind of hard to know whether Faison would have played it the same way if the game was closer. But, yeah, that you never want to see the other team getting long, long touchdown passes. There's still a lack of holes for the running backs. Uh, you know, our longest gain that wasn't by Gerard Evans was nine yards in the game. A couple of different guys had a nine-yard run. But if you watch the game, you could see that we still weren't getting, getting the holes that maybe we expect to get. Uh, and I guess my last thing was the slow start. And we had a great start versus Tennessee. And although BC, we had we had a, a nice solid start. Then there was a lull after that for a little while. Um, I think that's going to be kind of how it is with, with Fuente. I, I think sometimes it's going to – it's like you got to start the engine. And once you start it, like we're firing on all cylinders. And sometimes it takes a little while. But once it happens, I mean, the points just pile up fast. I 100% – Agree. I think it's Fuente and I think it's Gerard Evans. I think he needs some time. I think it's 
he needs some time to get on the field and just get a little bit comfortable. And I'm more than happy to go. And I'll tie this into my concern that still exists in to, it hasn't been alleviated. He needs some time to get out there, get some momentum here and there. And then all of a sudden the engine's up, it's running and it's looking really good. The question that I have, and it still remains, and I think it'll be answered probably by UNC is what if it, what if the other team scores first or what if something, you know, school, they score two touchdowns and now it's Oh 14 and we're going into things. What's the emotion of this team going to be? It's been my primary concern. It's pro- maybe it's unfounded and maybe I'm just reading into things, but I want to see what happens when this team isn't humming on all cylinders in the first half and they have to do something in the second half. I have all trust in Gerard Evans and Fuente that they can make it happen but it's a concern because I haven't I haven't seen it yet. So, except against Liberty, and that doesn't really that doesn't really hold water for me. Yeah, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we get down in an ACC game. If if we come back and all of a sudden we we drop a bunch of points on a team, or we kind of you know fumble the game away like we did against Tennessee. But right now, you know, we've been keeping the ball. Uh, you know, fumble free for two games straight, and it, it's it's looking great. I mean, I I thought the improvement would be exponential, and it has been. And let's up offer up our final thoughts before we uh, have our guest on. And these can be just thoughts on the season because it is a bye week, so we can kind of reflect a little bit on what we've seen through the first third of the season. If you haven't read French's piece, I suggest you do. It was about, you know, the various schemes we've been running and particularly against the ECU and the adjustments that were made. It was really good. And I couldn't have been happier with the way our coaches responded. The offensive coaches within the game, they responded to what ECU was doing on the field. And the defensive coaches, uh, and Coach Foster, they responded to what happened last year and what they happened in the Duke game as well since Scotty Montgomery was the offensive coordinator for Duke. And using different different looks and and playing more zone and the, this coaching staff just really gets it. It seems like and that to me is is great going forward. And I it, it's so encouraging heading into ACC play, knowing this staff that we have on hand. I think. Well, do you want to summarize? Are those your your final thoughts? Because I have a I have a couple different ones that I wanted to wrap up with real quick, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Uh, I guess my my one last thing I wanted to say about this game in particular was that this was a big hurdle, I think, for our team to get over to beat ECU. It shouldn't be, but it was. They had beaten us the last two years, and the games before that had been close, and this was not close. It was really never that close after after Stroman ran back that punt. We dominated, and I think that just says so much about how far we've come in a very short period of time. This is what this talent was capable of, this offensive skill talent match with Bud Foster and what he consistently puts on the field and the athletes he has at his disposal. This is a very big hurdle, and now that we're going to take this win, have the bye week to reflect and come down a little bit and get ready for our first ACC game, I think things are lining up really, really well. I'm going to go in a different order than I had this down, but I'm going to react. I could go either way on the timing for the bye week, just like I think most people could. On one hand, we get to heal up, just like Gerard Evans said during the press conference. You know, If you're not feeling something right now, then you're not playing football. So I want to see our guys make sure that they're healthy. When he went down and it looked like he might have hurt his ankle, I almost lost my mind and I want those guys to get healthy and make sure that they're good to go against UNC. On the other hand, you know, we're rolling right now. So it'd kind of be nice to take that momentum, but let's let FSU bang up UNC a little bit. Absolutely. Yes. And take it, take it that next week. I, uh, I'm upping my prediction, which I previewed a little bit before this. I'm going to nine and three on the season. I know it's not a huge hallmark moment for everybody or a big jump, but I think the win that I'm switching from my preseason comes at the hands of UNC, which is coming up. And I'm going to do a lot more research and get ready for our preview that's going to happen. 
But I think that that's the game. Pitt's offense still shaky, but I don't know. They're scoring points. The reason I'm upping it, Scotty Montgomery, that was with Duke, knows the Hokies very well in his time there, including playing us this year, said it's the best he's seen the Hokies look. That's reason number one. Two, Gerard Evans was in the top question of everybody that covers this team or is a fan of this team going into the season, and he's looking really, really good right now. Justin Fuente's pregame speech, I didn't know he had that much fire in his belly, and I love every moment of it. He That speech I've listened to probably 15 times since it got posted by VT Football. It then when he came out and said, I'm tired of hearing about other programs and the work that they've put in. I want to hear about our program. I I love that. I'm I'm tired of everybody else. Let's have people talking about us and let's go out there and put in the work to make it happen. And just general performance on the field. It's look really solid with four games. Granted, we're going to play a lot harder talent moving forward. But this team is really executed. So I'm going nine and three now from I started at seven and five. <laughs> Once Evans got announced, I went to eight and four. Now I'm at nine and three. And I, I can't argue with you at all. One of the most encouraging things I see and I, I love advanced stats. I know we're both kind of numbers guys and we we sometimes say too many numbers on this podcast. But if you look at the S P projections that the numbers that Bill Connolly puts out we're the 14th ranked team in the country according to the S&P. Now, sometimes those numbers can lie, and you have to watch the teams and know how good they look and all the rest. But that's really high, and when he projects out our wins down the road, he's projecting us at 10-2. and two. I'm not going to go to 10-2. and two. I said 8-4 and four since the season ended last year and we hired Fuente. I said 8-4 and four is what this team can do looking at the schedule. I'd like to reserve judgment maybe till after UNC, but I think we're going to beat UNC now, and I projected that as a loss. So I'll go. I'll go with the nine and three as well. And I like what I'm seeing from the advanced numbers. And just to 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 bang on Gerard Evans one more time, he's the fourth best passer in the country according to passer rating, fourth nationally with a. Uh, 185.8 rating. He's ahead of guys like Lamar Jackson and JT Barrett. He's just playing really, really efficient football, and it gets even more efficient when you factor in his running. It's very, very impressive. And to me, with the 13 touchdowns and then the additional one rushing touchdown, one interception, the ratings, the running yards, he's a Heisman candidate. Now, he's not showing up on any Vegas lists, but he should. Lamar Jackson has 25 touchdowns by comparison. And if Louisville goes undefeated, he is going to win it hands down. But Evans, at some point or another, if he starts playing this way and continues into ACC play at this level, he will absolutely start popping up on the radar as a Heisman candidate because the numbers are the, t- the touchdown numbers are just crazy at this point. He is ahead of... A lot of other ACC quarterbacks in most of the categories, including Brad Kaya and Deshaun Watson, guys expected to go as high as the number one pick in the draft. And Evans is is right there with them statistically. When the competition really steps up, we'll see if he's still standing his ground. Robbie gave a lot of information there. Before we welcome in our picks guest, we should do a beer break. What are you drinking? I was surprised we hadn't had this one on yet. It's relatively popular. I guess I would characterize it for craft beer drinkers is the Flower Power. Ithaca Beer Company out of Ithaca, New York. I had actually never had this beer because I always thought it was a lager. I don't know if it's the label. It's got flowers all over it, the color, but I never knew it was an IPA. And I was going through the store, and I'd heard about it many times, obviously. It's not great. Um, <laughs> for for as much as people like it, I guess it's probably a good summertime beer, a little bit lighter IPA. I'm, I'm not that big of a fan. I don't, I don't dislike it. It'll probably be in kind of the 75% uh, quartile for, for me. But 
it's I don't know if you've ever had it before, but it's not it's not that great. It's a little it's not it, it it's not malty, but it's also doesn't really have much hop to it. It's just kind of there. Yeah, it's it's a run of the mill IPA. I've had it a few times. Um, on tap is better than in the bottle. I'd say. Uh, I used to know some people from Ithaca, so they would always talk up Ithaca Brewing Company. I think that's who makes it. Um, and it's good. It's it's nothing nothing too crazy. In honor of us playing ECU, I'm having a heavy seas uh, beer, which has the skull and crossbones as its symbol. And it's called the Double Cannon. It's a double IPA that they make. It's 9.5% alcohol. So for the second week in a row, I'm definitely getting a buzz off my first beer here. They're, they're, it's, a real nice, it's a real nice double IPA. I really like the flavor. And I guess, you know, Double Cannon, double middle finger to ECU on this one. <laughs> it, this is pretty great. I, I'm enjoying this beer. The Double Cannon by Heavy Seas Brewing Company. Okay, Robbie, let me give our guest a call and see if we can get him on the line. We are now welcoming in Colby Dant of the Sports Gambling Podcast. Colby, thanks for coming on, man. Anytime. Good to catch up with you guys. I understand that you might have slept on Robbie's couch for a semester or something back in the day. <laughs> I might have been more than a semester. It might have been two or three. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was a couple couple semesters. You were you were out there doing some some filming stuff, and we welcomed you. The more guests, the merrier in college, right? Yeah, yeah, and one of the cool things I, I also got to—I uh, was editing some film for a company for their science department at at uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech. And what's funny is the person that narrated it got sick, so essentially I narrated a couple of their DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I just love to think of like Robbie in class. He's taking one of these classes, and he's like, "Man, this, this fucking voice sounds so familiar." <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's Colby. I know it. All right, buddy. <laughs> We're gonna kick things off with just a, a little background on you. How'd you get hooked up with the sports gambling podcast? And were you just a degenerate gambler, and that's how you kind of kind of found your way in the gambling community, or like, how did you get started picking games and stuff? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I've always been a, been a gambler. I mean, I got just, I got expelled from get for gambling in sixth grade <laughs> out of, uh, out of an elementary school. Um, pretty ridiculous. If you ask me, I got a couple bets. I think someone owed me like 35 bucks, but I got expelled anyway. Um, but, uh, when I moved out here to LA, the guys that run the gambling, uh, podcast, one of them is a comedian named Sean Green, who's been a pal of mine for a long time. We started out in the LA standup scene together. And, uh, then he brought on his friend, Ryan Kramer, who actually went to Virginia tech. I don't know if you guys know this, that, hmm. uh, one of the guys that runs that site is a Virginia tech alumni. Oh, nice. Um, but anyway, I played volleyball with him a lot and I don't even know if he knows that, but then, <laughs> uh, Sean introduced me and uh, we were at a party or something, but I got, make a long story short is Sean knew that I was a, big college football or sports in general, but uh, college football fan. And he was like, Hey man, can you come do some stuff for the site? And I said, of course. And then last year I started doing stuff and I didn't have a losing week at all last year, not one week last year. I mean, this year I've already had a losing week, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's pretty much how it happened, man. Me and Sean have been buddies though for shit, man. Probably, Probably 10 or 11 years. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I, I should have introduced you as a comedian, actor. I know you've worn a lot of hats out there, but we're, we had yeah. you on specifically for, uh, to get your take on the sports gambling because we know that your focus is college football when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I was curious, when you college go into... Football, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was saying, I was saying uh, college football and college basketball. Those two, I, I, I conquer. But gambling is the only thing I'm good at. You don't need to mention comedian and acting and everything. You know, gambling is the only one I'm decent at. <laughs> Well, we wanted to get kind of get your take on strategy going into a weekend. Uh, how do you kind of pick the games you pick, and how many games normally do you pick in a weekend? Do you have any general tips? Well, uh, well, normally I sit down and I pick out a list of what games that I like. Um, I'll go through that change by the weeks based on the, the schedule, but. Um, I sit down. Normally, it's about a list. I would say from anywhere from ten to fourteen, but occasionally there's weeks where there's six to eight 
games that I like. And then, like I said, for Sean's website, he wanted me to do five. So then I pick five that I really like, which sometimes can be a struggle. If it's, if it's like, a, you know, I think it was week two this year that I did not like the slate of games that much. So I, I had one in my, my number one strength, you know, or uh, I normally rate it from one to five. And uh, so I had like one and two pretty easily figured out, but then three, four, and five were not, not, not much different than seven and eight. So it became an issue. But normally I, I have about 10 to 12 games, maybe 14 games that I like. And I stay pretty, pretty caught up on college football. Even when I'm not watching the games, I'm recording them, so I'll watch them on, throughout the week, you know. Now do you base – bet based mostly on gut feeling? Do you look at past year spreads or, or home field spreads or any of that kind of stuff from the past? Um, I, I occasionally would, I mean, if it's a place like Bat, Baton Rouge, I think I take everything in, in, into account because like a place like Baton Rouge, it's really the home field advantage is a lot more different than playing at Stanford. Yeah. You know, Stanford, even with them being as good as they are, they barely even sell out the games, you know? Yeah, I've been to a game at Stanford and it's it's nothing to speak of. Exactly, exactly. And and so that's, I mean, and history, if it's an Army-Navy game or if it's like something where a crazy rivalry, you got to kind of take that into hindsight or, you know, into, uh, you know, consideration. But uh, besides that, I don't really look at history too much. I normally like uh, basically the vision test from watching them throughout the weeks. Yeah, no better way to learn, man. You got to watch the games, that's for sure. As far as my gambling, though, you, like like I was telling you, uh, normally I'll tease them down in my third or fourth or fifth games if I don't feel that strong about them. Okay, and I'll for, tease our, them down for and our uneducated listeners, what do you mean by teasing them down? Okay, so there's an option on your gambling websites or whatever you're using, even your bookies website, whatever. They should have an option to tease, and to tease would be like, so say Penn State is favored by or Penn State's favored by three this weekend. Hypothetically, let's just say your website takes three points off of the spread. Whatever way you you do it, so if Penn State's Penn State's uh, favored by three, that means you can get the game Penn State even. All they have to do is win the game, or you can get Minnesota plus six. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So, absolutely. It gives you but, a little but, bit more for, leeway for, if you like those games. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of times, I, I like I found it it works really well for me, especially in the 12 games that I like, especially towards the, the the backpack, you know, of those games where I'm like, man, I like them, but I don't know, you know, how do I rate which one higher, you know? Yeah, you'll throw them together. You you feel a lot better no matter what. I got you. All right, we're going to go through uh, a couple of the ACC games this weekend and then just some of the big top 25 matchups. And I'm going to ask you and Robbie for your picks, and I'm going to give mine. The first game is Miami at Georgia Tech. Miami is number 14. And Georgia Tech is at home. Miami is a seven-point favorite. Uh, Colby, who you got in this game? You know, this is a tough one. I I, I like Miami uh, minus seven, mainly because I've just been completely impressed with. Uh, they've been much better than I thought they'd be this year. I actually coming into the season, I thought they were a little overrated, but uh, Rick has them playing at a very high level, and they got. I think they had the week off, so you know that Georgia Tech offense. You need a week off to prepare for that crazy thing. Sounds like a Miami Miami pick, so I'm going Miami as well. Kaya's look good. Granted, it's against lesser competition, except App State. I think App State's a pretty decent team. He has App State might be better than Georgia Tech. That's that's exactly right. So yeah. I think they went up against decent competition. The you know the whole seven interception or seven TDs. Three interceptions gives me a little concern with him, but I think Kai is a pretty good quarterback. And um, for Georgia Tech, I mean, and but Georgia Tech held Clemson to twenty six points, so I kind of I went either way on it. But I think it's going to be Brad Kai. I think he's coming out. This is kind of his coming out party for the year, and they need they need this win. They can't keep this close, otherwise they're going to have a lot of trouble in the ACC this year. Yeah, I like Miami yeah. as well. I'm going to make it three for three on this one, but. You know, it's tough. I like Miami a lot better at if it was six and a half, obviously. Georgia Tech last weekend, they gave Clemson a little bit of trouble. Now, Clemson's defense was so athletic and just blew up their front. I kind of expect a little bit of that from Miami against GT. Um, 
but the offense couldn't get humming. But with the way Clemson had been playing, that didn't really surprise me. Deshaun Watson admittedly said he was playing a little tight. Uh, so I like Miami to kind of blow GT out of the water. What they did to Appalachian State was completely unexpected and very impressive. I'm also going to go with the Canes. Let's move on to our next game. It's UNC at Florida State. Florida State is number 12, and they are 11-point favorites over the Heels, who came into the season as the Coastal favorites. Colby, who you got in this game? I like the Seminoles minus the points. I uh, actually have it as one of my top five games and my third highest-rated game. I actually had it I, – I published mine a couple days ago when the spread was at 10, but uh, I still like it mainly because the Tar Heel run defense is terrible. If you remember, Nick Chubb had about 300 yards rushing for Georgia week one. Uh, well, Dalvin Cook's a little bit better than Nick Chubb, if you're asking me. So, and another thing is, it's the, it's really Florida State's first home game. They played another. They, they played one, but that was against Tennessee, or I'm sorry, that was against Charleston Southern, and they had about 30 uh, players suspended. So, this is their first home game against single A competition. <laughs> um, I'm going UNC. I'm taking the points. Trubisky seems to have something kind of going this year. Ryan Switzer is a a monster. He's I can't wait till he's done in, in the NFL so we can kind of finally get rid of him. Four hundred yards receiving. And then you have Bug Howard that had five TDs uh between Ryan Switzer and Bug Howard and then Matt Collins with a you know another few TDs. They put up five TDs, almost four hundred and fifty yards on Pitt and I don't know what's going on with Pitt. I don't know if anybody knows what the hell Narduzzi is doing right now, given he's a defensive mastermind by many takes. I feel like UNC is going to be able to cover 11. That's a lot of points, and I don't know if Dalvin Cook is going to be able to do what most people – well, at least do what he did last week. I mean, he destroyed everybody. It was an incredible performance. I don't know if that's going to happen again. Yeah, I like UNC as well. It, it seems like a lot of points and. This, just like the Miami-Georgia Tech game, I had a really hard time with. I mean, Florida State, obviously, you watched them against Louisville, and it was so unimpressive. And last week against USF, which I think is a pretty solid team, they they showed up and showed out. Uh, but for some reason, I like the passing game of UNC and all the playmakers they have. Florida State's going to throw out points, but I think that UNC will too. And I'll take it to be a 10-point game, and I'll take UNC. The next game is Tennessee at Georgia. Tennessee's number 11. Georgia's number 25 after getting throttled against Old Miss. And Tennessee, I have it as a three-point favorite, so we're going to go with that. Colby, who do you like uh, in the Tennessee-Georgia game? Oh, man, if I had to go, this one's one of the tougher ones of the week, but I, I think I'll go Georgia plus the three. It's a rebound game for them after getting embarrassed. And uh, I haven't been a Tennessee believer all year, even though they keep they keep uh, defying the odds. They got lucky with the missed App State extra point. But I think, uh, obviously, Georgia got blown out. This is their rebound game. Uh, give me Georgia plus a three. I, well, what's your line? It's My three. line was three it's, yesterday. It's three. Okay. Okay. I have no clue on this game what's going to end up happening. Georgia could easily bounce back. There's going to be a bounce back game you would expect at some point for them. Is it going to be this week or a little bit – further on into the season i went ut tough matchup i'm not sure i have the most confidence in jacob eason that's probably the one question mark that that i have and they've been running the ball a little bit more now and they have chubb than they were early on for georgia but if they have to rely back on the passing game they have nine sacks i think on the year against jacob eason and that offensive line that's probably where I think it might sway the other way, but I'm going Tennessee. It could just as easily swing the other way. I also, uh, can I add in, I'm sorry to cut you off. If you are going to gamble on this game, you're going to want to check the status of Nick Chubb playing in the game before you bet. Yep. Absolutely. No doubt about it. I, and for that reason, I'm going with Tennessee, uh, you know, getting the three points. I, they showed me a lot last week in the Florida game because they really played two different games. They played the first half and the second half, and Florida, I think, is better than Georgia, and Tennessee ended up you know, building on momentum and slowly but surely beating Florida pretty good. 
I don't think Georgia's any good at all. I, I, you know, other than Nick Chubb going off in week one and, and Larry Fjord doing what he does, you know, they probably don't win that UNC game. And so I like Tennessee in this game. Next game, we're going to go outside uh, in, into a top 10 matchup. Wisconsin at Michigan State, or Michigan, I'm sorry. They just played Michigan State and beat them. Wisconsin's number eight. Michigan is number four. And that schedule for Wisconsin to start out this season, they have been done no favors. Michigan is a 10.5-point favorite. Colby, who do you have? Oh, man, uh, this is another one that it's tough. I'll take I'll take Wisconsin plus the ten and a half because that's just a lot of points and they've they've shown up to, to to the big game so far this year. I don't necessarily love this game because in a, in an, Ann Arbor I think it's very possible it could could get out of hand, especially because Wisconsin schedules they're bound to let up at some point. They've had a brutal schedule so far, uh, but at the same time, at ten and a half points is a lot of points. So I'll, I'll take Wisconsin plus the ten and a half. I do not encourage people to bet this game but hey if i had to give me wisconsin the 10 and a half I, my notes were 10 and a half is a ton of points in this game but i feel like things are gonna let up at some point on the badgers so almost exactly what you said colby the, those were those are my thoughts on it i had i had michigan only for the reason that I think Michigan has two must-win games this year. One of them, they, I think they can afford a loss against Ohio State and still find a way, granted things would have to break their way, to get into the playoff. But Wisconsin and Michigan State for Michigan are the big statement games where Harbaugh gets to go off, and if he's going to make a run at it, he needs to win those two. There's still an outside chance that they could lose to Ohio State. Ohio State goes on to win uh, the Big Big Ten, and then they still get in. So this is one of his kind of two big games that are coming up through the rest of the season that he needs to make a, a statement against. And that, but I think this one's tough. I would I would never bet this game. Yeah, I, I'm going to go yeah. with Wisconsin too because I think it's too many points. I know Michigan has shown some dominating performances. Uh, and Penn State, though, last week, they couldn't do anything. You knew every time they were getting the ball, they weren't going to do anything with it. I expected Michigan to crush them. Wisconsin has been a different animal this year, and there's something about them. I like them against Michigan, maybe not to win, but to keep it close. So I'll take Wisconsin against the 10.5. The next game is Stanford at Washington. Big Pac-12 matchup with national title and playoff implications. Washington, I have them at a 2.5-point favorite. And I'm going to go with the Huskies in this one. The home field advantage, I'm I'm going to take Washington. I like their quarterback. Stanford last week, they very well could have lost that game to UCLA, and I don't think UCLA is that good. I love Christian McCaffrey, but I'm going to go with the Huskies in this one. Colby, who do you got? I'm right there with you, man. I like uh, the Huskies. I know some people were concerned with uh, Washington's overtime win in Tucson against Arizona, but – I, I'm uh, I'm all Huskies on this one. They're in Seattle. It's a, I don't know if you've uh, ever been up there, but it's a, it's a lively crowd. Stanford hasn't been that impressive to me. I mean, even week one against Kansas State, I really felt like Kansas State had played as good as they did. It's just unfortunate things happened. Um, and then last week, I thought UCLA was a better team. I thought Stanford was very lucky to come out with a, with a W there. So I like. I think their luck runs out. They also got both their cornerbacks injured for Stanford, and their uh, one of their starting wide receivers. So that that plays in as well. So I, I definitely think uh, take the Huskies plus or take the Huskies minus the points. And uh, yeah, I got pick. I got Washington as well. So we're going to be boring on this one. Jake Browning. <laughs> Jake Browning's looked like the real deal so far. I think he's got 14 TDs, a couple of interceptions, 900 yards. Stanford's pass defense has not been has not been great, and Washington's pass offense has been pretty fantastic. Granted, on the flip side of the ball, you know Washington's rush defense has not been uh, all that stellar, and McCaffrey can really put some damage on you. But it, as long as they can keep him from 
400 yards in this game, which, uh, you know, I think he's probably only averaging two, 250, then I think Washington's going to end up pulling this out. So I think we're all, we're all aligned on this one. This is going to be, a, that's going to yeah, be Chris a really Peterson, fun game. Chris Peterson is what, yeah, I agree. Chris Peterson is one of the best coaches too, at me, uh, to, to me at least, at getting people pre- prepared. Um, you remember his Boise State days. He was great. And he's done great things at Washington just in a couple of years. So He really has. Uh, the next game and last game we're going to pick officially is the Louisville at Clemson game. Louisville is number three. Clemson is number five. And last I saw it, at least when I wrote it down, it was Louisville minus one and a half. They are the favorites even in Death Valley. I'm going to ask Kobe for his pick first. Who do you got? Um. You know, I mean, every single thing that I've seen this year on the field tells me take Louisville, but they haven't had a true road test. I know they played at Marshall, but Marshall's starting a true freshman quarterback because their quarterback was injured. So I'm going to take Clemson plus the one. Um, I don't feel great about this game. I think it could go either way, but uh, I do think that the game being at Clemson wins it for me. Pete, you're up. Oh, you want me to go first? All right. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, it's one and a half to Louisville. I'm going to take. I'm going to take Louisville, and and I'm going to do the anti of what Colby said. Everything we've seen is just Louisville is so hot right now, and Clemson. Yes, they are undefeated, and they have all the weapons, and their defense is fast and strong and athletic. Lamar Jackson is on an, another level, and. For that reason alone, I'm going with Louisville. Should be a fun one, but I'm going with the Cardinals. This is a coin flip game in my mind, and it's going to be a much longer day on Lamar Jackson than he's had thus far this season, I th- given the amount of talent that Clemson has on the defensive side of the ball. I got to go Louisville. They, you know, I, I, I granted it's – in, it's going to be a tough one, I think, but I think they're going to end up pulling it out. And if they win this game, I feel like Bobby Petrino is going to have his team in a position to know that if they win this game, the ACC is over for them. The, the Atlantic's locked up. It's already pretty close, but if they win this game, it's over. You would need to have two more losses, I think, on their on their schedule for Louisville. They're going to be amped up for this game. And I think Bobby Petrino is going to find a way to get his team in a place to make it happen. And I also don't think the funniest part is the spreads one and a half, much like the FSU game. I could see this being a couple touchdown blowout on either side, either Clemson or Louisville. I think everybody's looking for a nail biter. Everybody's expecting something close. I think it'll end up being a decisive victory for one side or the other, which maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's going to be the interesting part. Okay. I am now going to ask Colby for his play of the week. If you've got a couple games you think are neck and neck, you can give us two. But against the spread, plays of the week, what do you have? My number one play would be Notre Dame minus 10.5 in a neutral site game against uh, Syracuse. They're playing the game in New York City, I believe. Either there or Jersey. Uh, and Notre Dame, if, if you've been living under a rock, they've, they've – They've disappointed this year, and Brian Kelly has been very public about challenging his team, and he also fired his defensive coordinator. So I think it's time to put up or shut up. I like the the Fighting Irish to win by a couple touchdowns. I don't think Syracuse is ready for that. And then a couple other ones I like. I like Ole Miss minus 14.5 against Memphis. Memphis is undefeated, and they've been blowing teams out, but they haven't played anybody. Bowling Green, they just blew out, and they also blew out Kansas. Both those teams are probably – Worse than a lot of the one double A. Yeah, they're absolutely terrible. So, exactly, and, and I'm not taking anything away from Memphis. They, they did what they're supposed to do, but at the same time, I think Ole Miss is the best two-loss team in the country, and I also think that it's a revenge game for them. Last year, Ole Miss went to Memphis and they lost uh, pretty pretty by I think double digits to to Memphis when they had uh, Fiente as coach. So I think it's a uh, you know. Big game for them. They're not looking past it this year. And then uh, a couple other ones I like is I like uh, South Alabama plus 19.5 against San Diego State. San Diego State's ranked. I don't know if you remember the week one South Alabama upset at Mississippi State. So I like that. And uh, I like, believe it or not, I like Penn State minus three against Minnesota. (laughs) 
are... Yeah, I mean, Penn State looked know, absolutely terrible last week, but I think those those teams are evenly matched, so I, I hear you on that one. Uh, Penn State looked awful all year to me, but at the same time, like, if Franklin wants to maintain his job, he better win this game. <laughs> absolutely. So I think it's a... I think it's a big game for them. Not 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 so big for Minnesota. They're four and out. So, all right, Robbie, I'm going to ask you for a play of the week this week. I'm going to ask you for a play of the week because I'm flip flopping between <laughs> two of two of them. All so. right, I'll give you mine first, so you don't take mine. Hopefully, but we'll see. I'm going to go with Wake plus eleven against NC State. NC State lost ECU, a team we just throttled, and Wake. They beat Tulane. I know it was only 7-3, to three, but I thought that was a solid win. They beat Duke, a team that just beat Notre Dame. I like Wake plus 11. That is my play of the week, and I think this might be How a How re- is the spread that high? I love that game, too. I, I thought that was almost like crazy, 11 and a half, and I'm like, NC State hasn't beat anybody. I know. They, they haven't looked good at all, uh, and we don't play either of those teams in the ACC this year, but I – Always keep my eye on Wake these last couple years. Ever since that that uh, game that infamously went to overtime against Beamer and um, at zero zero, and we lost six to three against Wake. I keep my eye on them. Their defense always comes to play, and that's too many points to me. So I'm taking Wake plus eleven against NC State. Robbie, give me your play of the week. I'm going. People aren't going to like this one. I'm going Oklahoma minus three and a half against TCU. I don't think TCU is nearly as good as as you know. Well, first of all, the whole conference is in, in shambles right now. <laughs> yes, but Oklahoma is one and two. They still have talent on that team. They returned a ton of people from last season. Most people think that they got lucky last season and made it to to the playoff. But I'm going with a bounce back here. I can't imagine Oklahoma going in, you know, being one and three. This year, with the talent they have on there, granted, what Baker Mayfield is not the best quarterback in the entire world, but he can he can produce. I think I'm going to go Oklahoma on this one, and I know TCU is a really good team, exceptionally coached, especially when Fuente was there at TCU. That's when they were even better coached. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm going with that. I can't. I just. I can't. I can't foresee that. Well, they, well, they need they to win it. I, I, yeah. I'm with you, Robbie. Be- I'm with you because they need to win it because if they start at one and three, the next week they got Texas. Yep. Absolutely. So it's like a must win game for them. I'm with you. Yeah. And that schedule, I mean, Oklahoma still has a handful of tough games to play in the big 12. Uh, this is, this is a big, big spot in the season for the Sooners and Bob Stoops. And we'll see, see what happens in that game. Robbie's play of the week is Oklahoma minus three and a half against TCU. Colby, thanks a lot for coming on, man. We really appreciate your insight and, uh, you know, just your knowledge on the picks. And it was a lot of fun having you on, man. So I don't know. Since you, spent some, since you spent some time at Virginia Tech, you know, we're we're 3-1 and one at this point. You know, we, we've got eight games left. How do you think our season's going to shake out? Do you, will you – I guess I'll measure it in gambling well, terms. Well, will you take us, you know, to cover most of our spreads? Do you take us to not cover most of them? Well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing is that I, beginning of the year, if you follow the sports gambling podcast or sports gambling, uh, you should because they're great with the NFL picks and college. We cover it pretty well. But I predicted Virginia Tech to win the Coastal. Yeah, Colby. And I I still liked it. I mean, Miami's better than I thought they were. So that's a little – I think it's going to come down to that. So I I like uh, – I was a huge fan of them retaining Bud Foster, but yet still getting Fiente because I thought Fiente was such a great coach. And I think, I really think that uh, they're, they're, they're the team to beat right now. I mean, Miami would be the only other one that I would consider. Yeah. UNC, uh, UNC hasn't lived up. Yeah. And then Pitt is their defense hasn't been looking so good. I thought those were essentially the, the four teams that were most likely to win. And, Based on what we've done the last two weeks, it, it certainly seems to be the case that we're holding up our end of the bargain. And, and, tech, and Tech should have beat Tennessee. They really beat themselves more so than lost to Tennessee, in my opinion, yeah, from tell, watching that game. Tell us about it, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, we were both but there. I, 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 you know what game scares me, though, is that if Notre Dame gets back on the right track, they have the talent to beat Tech. So that game, the, all, Notre Dame losing all these games right now is not good for Tech because – I, I at some point I think they're going to get things working. It's right. just a race. Hopefully, hopefully they can uh, 
they can dodge that bullet because I think Tech can uh, win the AC. I mean the the uh, Coastal, and maybe even maybe even win the ACC. You never know. I mean, Bud Foster is that good of a defensive coordinator, and I think that Fiente with his system is getting better every week. You're seeing it. I mean, look what they did to ECU. Look what they did to Boston College. I I couldn't predict that Boston College game. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing, and we, we've been on cloud nine the last two weeks because those two teams have historically been thorns on our side. So it was really nice to just pound them into the turf and back-to-back weeks. Um, in any case, Colby, thanks again, man. We, we really appreciate you coming on the pod, and hopefully we'll have you on again in the not-too-distant future. I'd love to, guys, and thanks for uh, having me. And I, I, my bad also, uh, when you asked me my one game of the week, I thought you said games plural. Well, no, I said, I I said give game. as many as you want. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, whatever it is, I appreciate the uh, – coming on the podcast and and i appreciate you know robbie's been my friend for a long time so much love man to to you guys hey man it's good to talk to you again thanks a lot for coming on bud anytime buddy you guys take care and uh best of luck with everything that was a lot of fun having colby on let's do a quick beer break before we sign off robbie i'm drinking the duclaw brewing company neon gypsy it's a pretty good ipa uh, 6.5%, so not too strong, but not too light. Um, it's good. It's I'd say it's pretty much your standard IPA. I would recommend it to a friend. I like what Duclaw does, too. They have a lot of good beers, and I haven't had the Neon Gypsy yet, but it's got a cool label, and that's kind of why I bought it, and sometimes that pays off, and sometimes it doesn't. But I like it. The Duclaw Brewing Company Neon Gypsy. What are you drinking? I'm going with an oldie but a goodie, which is Dale's Pale Ale. Oh, how about that? Another one that I was surprised that we haven't had on here from Oscar Blues Brewing out of, uh, I think it's Brevard, North Carolina, or Brevard. Yeah, I think it's, I'm not really sure. They, you know, Oscar Blues was a Colorado brewing company, but then they started a big operation in North Carolina. Yep. So we're kind of going to call it North Carolina because that's closer to tech. I think I think that's where they that's where they started. But I'm pretty. I think their major manufacturer or their production now is out of out of North Carolina. But maybe I'm wrong on that. And we'll be corrected by somebody. Most likely, it's a classic beer. It's good for comes in cans, which is always a plus. Great for a tailgate if you don't want to drink just Bud Light, Miller Light, or Coors Light. But also have a little bit of uh, craft brew in your mouth. It's it's I like it. Nothing to write home about. I usually get it when I go to like Rockland's. They have Dale's Pale Ale. Rockland's barbecue is fantastic. Oh, yeah. So that that's my spot to to have a Dale's Pale Ale. It's a good beer when you're eating some barbecue or hanging out at a barbecue outside. That's how I'd characterize it. I wouldn't drink it if I'm sitting on the couch watching a football game, trying to have a nice nice IPA or a, a lager or whatever the case may be. Yeah, one of these days we'll we'll do a podcast where we drink, I guess, our favorite IPAs or whatever it may be, lagers, um, just whatever throughout the podcast and go from there. We've got a couple ideas for other things we're going to do later in the season, maybe an on-site recording somewhere. Um uh, some particular beer episodes, maybe even a pumpkin beer episode. We did one last season. We might have one coming up for you in a couple weeks. But hope you enjoyed the podcast today. We had a lot of fun. And Colby, of course, was a great guest. And if you want to write us a review, you can hit us up on iTunes. That's the place that we need the reviews the most. We've gotten a bunch, and we appreciate all of them. But also make sure you hit us on Twitter if you have any questions or comments. It's 2 vt. And in Gmail, it's 2DVT at gmail.com. Robbie, do you have any final thoughts uh, going into this bi-week weekend? I'm so relaxed. You know, I don't have to worry about us. We're on a high from last week. Even my Eagles aren't playing. I've got double bi-week going on. So I'm just going to chill. I It makes the week longer for me. I look forward to Saturday, and I'm very much looking forward to this game Saturday night between Louisville and Clemson, that's going to be a monster. But Virginia Tech's what gets me through the week. So this is not going well. (laughs) And to know that I have another week before I can start really getting juiced up about another game, and it's going to be a big game, 
is brutal. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch that UNC-Florida State game because UNC is our next opponent. We'll be previewing them next week. We might have another guest for you. And that game is going to tell us a lot about UNC. You know, we wa- a lot of us watched the Georgia game because it was a nationally televised game. And a lot of their other two games, not many people watched. So we're going to find out a lot about UNC, how they stack up against nationally relevant competition again. And if they fall flat on their face again, it might make me feel better about when they play us, even though we're going to Chapel Hill. But if they show up, then, you know, I'm going to be a little nervous. But we'll see. That's another thing to watch this weekend. But in any case, I think that's all we got to say. Um, thanks again for listening to the podcast and enjoy the bye week. Go Hokies.